Welcome to It's Not The Length Podcast, 2020's Best Bits. The host, Paul Evans here. We've gone through and clipped up a few highlights from a year of podcasting from myself and Monday and a few of the people we've had on the show. Had a little look back on what's been, um, well, a bit of a kind of a year. If you're looking to pick up a Wavelength subscription, we've got some great deals running at the moment over on the website. Do check them out. Otherwise, wherever you're listening from, we do appreciate your continued support. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the show. Welcome to a special on-location edition of the pod. We are on the path down to Nazare Ben after a massive day of toe surfing competition and a kind of an emotional day at the end as well. Yeah, that's right, Paulie. Yeah, we're here in Nazare. You can probably hear the crashing of 40-foot waves in the background. Yeah. The last five minutes of that of the day went went bad. Alex Patello, legend and such a nice guy. Um, yeah, we had to broadcast as he was held unconscious for a good four minutes, and um, we just had a brief chat to Nico Van Rock about it. And yeah, he was he was dead for a minute, and we had to call it live on air. It was all pretty pretty. Um, and not that that means anything, but it was a yeah unsettling sort of occasion to what was a great day, really. Yeah, the, the good news is that Alex Patello, we got word that he's conscious, he's fine, he's asking about everyone else. Classic Porteo, he's okay. But yeah, Ben, you you were you were hosting with Pete. I was sitting next to Pete on the couch. I wasn't mic'd up. It was the worst thing that's ever happened to me in the booth since like I've ever seen. And that one point when Mel said it, it's a body and he was like unconscious and limp, I, my, I think it just went cold. That was horrific. And you kind of kept talking. We didn't didn't seem to get a lot of direction as to whether to keep going or go to break. I was kind of like thinking it would go to break and yeah. get some facts, but. But that was a weird, weird few minutes and a sort of horrific few minutes there. Yeah, it was terrifying. And you're just saying a guy, and, and, and I thought he was gone. And then I was being kind of asked to talk about it. It felt really horrible. Um, not putting, you know, not that I went through anything traumatic. But, yeah, it was just a horrible thing where you're seeing someone potentially in front of your eyes lose their life. And it's so confronting. And to try and talk about it was awful. But, anyway, we did get the news sort of quite quickly. Obviously, uh Oh, Pete Mel, he didn't say a whole lot during the thing, but um, we got the news pretty quickly that Alex was all right. And so we went, went from that kind of immediate kind of just, just almost, yeah, euphoria a little bit. And as, as Nick Von Rupp just said, um, when we did get to chat to him, he, you know, he went from his best mate dying, his best mate being alive, and he, you know, he, was, he was so relieved and so kind of thing. But that's, this, that's what this place does to you, eh? It's fucking pretty dangerous. Alex Botez is all good. We just had a nice cold corona down at the fort there and right now we are watching how big is this like 50 foot on the face maybe yeah. a bit bigger watching Kyle Lenny and Ian Walsh just whipping into some absolute bombs there's I think two maybe three skis out in the water everyone's kind of streaming off the beach it's been a pretty massive day didn't it meet up to your your expectations overall yeah I think so I think what I wanted to see today was a bit of um kind of high performance like the whole point of it is to see what these guys can do on massive waves didn't see and many tubes did we no tube not a tube I think Chumbo kind of pulled into one pretty close now, inadvertently it just sort of came over him uh, Kyle Lenny did his shit he was just amazing I thought he was doing his spins although a bit controversial here Paul I mean how many of those spins can you see before you go well yeah. is that it I mean is that all you got I know it's pretty new but yeah, he did a lot of spins. But then the stuff after his spins was, was really, really good. I thought the girls, Maya Gabira and Justin Dupont, oh, just stood up and absolutely. I think they got the best waves of Dave, regardless of their genitalia. Something oh. I don't often say very often. But um, 
they just they, they absolutely smashed it. If Justin Dupont doesn't win like biggest overall wave, I don't know what I'll do, Ben. I'll I, I will quit. I will walk out. That's it. <laughs> it's my last Nazare toe challenge. <laughs> I'll do something. I'll go mad. I mean, that, I mean that is that, that just shows you the depth of what Paul's feeling right now. Because uh, I mean, the whole thing would, whole edifice would pretty much fall apart, Paul, if you, you decided to quit. Uh, it's uh, been been a big day, big day on the tools and commentary. Yeah, what's been your highlights, Paul? Like, like commentary wise, where did you, you think you stood up? But you're playing the straight guys a bit hard, isn't it? We were the with the Joe Tell Pels of the big wave world yeah. <laughs> for a day. Yeah, I thought I, yeah, I thought I did a, re- a reasonable, yeah. reasonable job. Of, I, um, yeah, did, sometimes you don't, don't, don't do too much. Yeah. You know what I mean? Corralled the GMAC. Yeah, yeah, we had GMAC in there. He dropped a, he dropped a, a holy shit in the first 30 seconds of being on air. Right. Um, <laughs> obviously, Mel left me stranded. Just kind of, yeah. Um, but now all good. There was no talk of conceiving kids, which we got last time from Garrett. So yeah, that was good. That was a good day with. You had Ian Walsh in the booth as well for some insights. I like yeah. your story about your dad that you dropped yeah. in, so it went all right. My dad, um, oh, there's a big wave just coming through here, peeking behind the church. I thought Team GB was kind of hoping for slightly bigger things yeah. some of those two weeks. Or... I think Bart's got Bart's fucked up, didn't he? He got one of the, could have been the biggest bombs, and he, he fell at the top. I mean, who knows what would have happened, but... He'll be kicking himself, I think. We were getting a pizza last night in town. <laughs> I, full disclosure, I wanted to go for curry. Monday stood his ground, like refused. I think Condor and Buddha were kind of up for going curry, but <laughs> yeah, Monday, they were, yeah. Monday was like, nah, I'm not, I can't take this shit anymore. So Monday, Monday said, no, we went for a pizza. I was thinking, okay, this is kind of on me. I, I found the pizza joint as the decision got validated because we saw some of the locals in there but Cotton came in picked up a takeaway I think he went the alfungi I think he went the mushroom but not probably not the ideal surf food remember Roy Keane famously complaining the Republic of Ireland in the <laughs> Japan and Korea World Cup eating yeah. like Kentucky fried chicken yeah. and stuff like I'm not sure that's the kind of food that you that's want I don't like, want to say it affected cottage performance let's just run around a pitch these guys are dodging <laughs> 50 foot mountains of water it's did a new power couple piece uh, I don't know if you saw that Paul um, I think I've done an average uh, uh, of two a year you know surfing power couples two a year since 2012 um, we're talking about my sort of body of Rod Cunthorpe articles but I think this might be my finest body of work something I'm sort of most proud of really in terms of um, just high impact sort of journalistic analysis but anyway a, a bit of an apology just in the, in the latest one I forget who that went to and uh, you know who, who I got paid for it but it, it didn't was it, it, the, went was it the Atlantic or the New Yorker um, yeah was... I think it was the Athletic was yeah yeah um, I included Alyssa, uh, Alyssa Cuisson and Chow at Belly um, and uh, they were engaged last April uh, so it, was, it seemed fairly, fairly legit I mean I didn't you know, draw two heavily. I just, they've been going out for about 10 years. They've been a staple. You know, I can just cut and paste. I didn't really need to do much thing. But anyway, I just found out that uh, I think just before that article was announced, she split up with uh, with poor old uh, Kyo. And uh, she's going out with a um, MMA fighter, Max Holloway. So, yeah, I just, you know, I feel bad for a bit of poor journalistic kind of research there. And um, yeah, shout out to. To, to Kyo as well because that's not cool that, that that wouldn't have helped his situation um, I mean she looks a bit different this year doesn't she Paul I think she may have had um, some work done on her, on her chesticles um, which is irrelevant but I just felt 
for, 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 for Kyle. He's, you know, girlfriend comes out, she gets some new boobs, and then sure enough, he's 10 years on the hanging out, and he's done and done and dusted. So I, anyway, that's, I'm, that's my bad. Man, I'm, I'm looking at that differently. I think that's that's a good for Kaya's point of view. And, you know, personally, I, you know, and I've checked into the Heartbreak Hotel you know, many years ago now. I produced some of my best art. You know, it really, it really brought me closer to my art. And I think we're going to see some of his best surfing. And I think it's exactly, exactly what he needed. He's had a bit of a shocker with Medina. And I think, you know, getting heartbroken, if, if that's the case. I mean, we don't know, but I think it could be great for him. Ben, have you, you know, have you, you've been in a heartbreak situation? Did you, did you, did it bring out the best in your writing or, or surfing or just general, the best version of you? I, well, I mean, it's a fair, I've been fairly lucky in the, in the heartbreak <laughs> regard. I do, the, the Swedish um, exchange student that I fell in love with, she came out to Redhead from, from, uh, <laughs> from Stockholm. It was like some type of alien being being beamed into our uh, our world down there in Newcastle, and I fell head over heels. And then um, I do remember I sort of got, I sort of just I got I made the classic Monday mistake of they used to call me Diamonds, the girl's best friend. I sort of got in the friend zone pretty heavily, although I loved her. And um, yeah, then I saw my you know our mate Maddo, a long time caller. He uh, I saw him kissing her at a party. And that, 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 I mean, Break, break my heart and I, I don't know if I retreated to an artistic space I just went home and cried to my mum um, after that six twist tops of VB so it, it kind of you know I, I, can, I can feel you know Kaya's pain you couldn't, even, you couldn't even punch him because he's a professional rugby player <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't even punch him yeah that would have added literal injury to insult <laughs> it's not the length podcast Got a little episode today in conversation with Andy Martin. Andy is an esteemed author and journalist and academic at Cambridge University. He might be one of the cleverest people in surfing. I've just been reading up a little bit about you and I saw some very high praise for Stealing the Wave, which is your book about um, Ken Bradshaw and Mark Fu, which Steve Bunce, who I'm actually a massive fan of, that's Five Lives boxing correspondent, so it was the finest yeah. sports book he'd read. That is, that's high praise indeed from an unlikely corner. Yeah, I slipped him a fiver for that one. Uh, but yeah, that, the funny thing about that book, yeah, Fu and Bradshaw, uh, because I, I, knew, I knew them both and um, I, I, I was kind of shocked, obviously, when, when Fu died at Mavericks. And uh, I used to say that the, the, the thing about that was that Fu was much easier to interview than Bradshaw because being dead and all, but Bradshaw was pretty prickly. And um, although, you know, a guy I admire in, in, in many ways, but the, uh, the thing that I, the, the, you know, the weight that he carried on his shoulders was that he had not died when, when Fu had. And, and he felt that that was a, a very sneaky backdoor way to achieve more celebrity and fame than he himself had achieved by virtue of living on uh, repeating himself and ultimately deteriorating, which, uh, you know, which is a fate that Fu didn't have to worry about. So that, that, there was a, yeah, that strange rivalry went on even beyond Fu's death. I've also been reading a little bit about the box and the goalkeeper, which is fair to say about two more, slightly more highbrow characters, Sartre and Camus. Yeah, my, my two favourite French philosophers, but I actually modelled them on Fu and Bradshaw, funnily enough, although I don't mention that in the book. But Which one's which? I actually, uh, 
Camus is is the foo character because okay. you know he he's, he dies tragically young while still a good looking corpse, and Sartre would be the Bradshaw character because he lives on and becomes really grouchy and grumpy, and and was not quite as good looking. In fact, nowhere near. But okay, set that aside. But uh, okay. Um, Ken, by the way, I didn't mean that you look like Jean-Paul Sartre. Au contraire. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously he's a great surfer and everything, uh, Bradshaw. So, you know, full respect to him. But he did say, after I'd written the book, you know, he moaned a bit about it, actually. Uh, for anyone who's, doesn't matter if you read it or not, actually, but Bradshaw phoned me up after he, he'd read it. And, and uh, he really liked it at first. And then someone said to him, but... Ken, you're the bad guy. <laughs> and then he called me back and started complaining about it. I said to him, look, this is not Tom and Jerry. There are no, you know, good guys and bad guys. There's a kind of complexity to this, you know, Ken. And, uh, but I don't think he ever fully accepted that. And then he said he was going to go off and write his own version of the story. So, Ken, good luck with that one. I guess you're still working on it, man. And then, lo and behold, one fine, well, I was going to say day, but it was a night like 3am or something, I get this phone call, I'm in Cambridge and it's Ted in Hawaii, who has reversed the charges, by the way, back in the day, you know, hugely expensive. And I thought it was some kind of emergency as I accepted the call. And he says, I found her, the perfect woman, you know, <laughs> what the hell? But he finally dragged me over there and introduced me to Lola in, the, in, in this nightclub. And indeed, I had to admit that she was pretty perfect, although I did imagine that there was a certain amount of bioengineering perhaps involved in the whole thing but uh still he was convinced that that she loved him i was a little bit skeptical and they were supposed to get married but the main drawback of lola although she was perfect in many ways was that and, and this i have discovered about the perfect woman is that there that usually a bad guy will have managed to track down the the perfect woman before you do and uh, that such was the case with lola so Ted, 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 therefore, you know, was on a collision course with the with the dark side. So essentially, he's warned off. He's warned to stay away from Lola by some sort of pimp characters, some sort of underworld heavies. Yeah, I mean, I, I was actually in in Hawaii at the time when, when this happened, and he told me all about it afterwards. So that that really very much registered with me that a couple of guys in Hawaii, you know, kind of polite, but they start threatening you with, you know. What do you think you could surf on just the one leg, Ted? This kind of thing, and you know, that that is rather worrying development. And, and I think Ted initially, because um, there was the threat was there, the threat of violence, which is quite huge. Uh, I mean, on, on the North Shore anyway, but uh, it was very, very manifest in this case. And I think Ted initially backed off, but he, he you know, he. I mean, in, in, as as a kid, I mean, he literally fell off his horse and was put back on his horse. And I think he, he kept, and that was the way with surfing as well, he kept getting back on. And so it was in, in this case, I don't want to compare Lola to a horse or a surfboard, but um, he persisted uh, ultimately in, in a way, whereas I, having met this uh, very bad guy uh, myself, tended to back off and favor discretion over valor. As a, as a reporter, I, I, was, I was warned off telling his story and and i thought okay well yeah well i i want to continue to be able to sort of you know surf on on two legs rather than one so i backed off but ted 
had the kind of, you know, mindset. He definitely favoured valour over discretion, I think. And uh, this, to my way of thinking, probably uh, led to his downfall. I did go to Hawaii Five-O headquarters, uh, you know, in, in Honolulu, and, and tracked down, you know, the, um, the police report yeah. on his death. And uh, as a result of that, I actually managed to find the, the last guy to, to see him alive and, and to find him dead, moreover. And um, so that was incredibly helpful. And, and the, um, the funny thing about that is it's really hard to do because, um, you know, the police aren't supposed to tell you about, and you, indeed, this goes back 20 years after all, but nevertheless, the reports are still there. You're not supposed to, you know, know who is who and who gave evidence and, and so on. And I, I came up against this and, uh, it, at the um, police headquarters in Honolulu, and uh, the, the woman who was kind of helping me there said, well, look, you know, I, I've got the report here, but I have to redact all the, all the crucial names so you won't be able to find that. So to literally take a pen and, and blank them out. And, and I said, oh, my God, you know, come all this way and on, on behalf of the family and really trying to find out, God, it'd be so useful if only I could, you know, find out the name of the last guy to see him alive. And she said, yeah, but unfortunately I'm not allowed to, to let you see that. But in her very nice kind of slightly hazy Hawaiian way, she tried to follow the rules, but at the same time didn't quite ink out one or two names carefully enough so that I could actually find out who it was. So, so yeah, it was investigative. And, and for me, it was, um, a relief to be honest, because, you know, 20, 20, you know, I was in Hawaii when he died. It was very sudden. And, and, you know, so I was relying on, on Hawaii for, you know, there were 10 different kinds of stories. I mean, Rabbit Bartholomew, for example, was convinced that Ted had died drowning at sunset and everyone had a different story to tell. And if you ever go to Hawaii as a journalist and try to find out what the facts are. It's not the lockdown's ending, but I, it's funny when you talk to different people and everyone has their own interpretation of lockdown. I mean, in Britain, you guys are calling it lockdown, but it's not. You can leave home anytime. You can go wherever you want. You don't have to justify it. It's not really lockdown, is it? it just, it's just shops are closed. But here, it's actually like fucking police state and you've got to have paperwork. But anyway, so everyone's been kind of locked in at home but i talked to a guy the other i'm gonna bleep out his name but i talked to the other day and um he's like he went on a tinder date in beeritz and he's like he called me and he's, he was on a rooftop in beeritz like overlooking coke day basque and there was like a dj and loads of people on the roof of this apartment block and it's just like drinking in this sort of outdoor bar overlooking the ocean i was like what and this is mate how did you when you when you drove down were there not like roadblocks and stuff it just weird i didn't think you could do anything like that but i guess some people have been playing far, quite fast and loose with the lockdown rules i think it's true i mean i've been doing with the aussies quite a lot they don't see i mean there's been surfing was never outlawed in australia so they've all been fine but what they've done is um they've the rule was you couldn't drive to the surf if you you know within like 40 kilometers or something <laughs> excuse me and um basically it's for me that i've never seen these Aussie locals so happy, like kind of like government. I mean, they're basically saying localism has been governmentally approved. It's like, yeah, look, locals only is the rule in Australia, basically, and they have they have loved it down there. The news that I heard from an unknown source was that um, Laurie Towner went like he drove his boat like 
literally two kilometres from Yamba to Iluka. Have you ever surfed on that stretch of the world, Paul? Not a great deal, no. I know where it is. As the crow flies, it's like it's probably a kilometre. If you went by road, it's about like 40 because of the river. But he just went his boat over there as the pelican flies. And, um, yeah, he got thrown rocks at because, you know, he'd broken the rules. So the Aussies, they're really like – they've taken the localism as the kind of core message. And there was, I saw a sign in um, on Sawtell on social media saying, if you don't live here, don't surf here. Let's protect the town. If you weren't – if you didn't live here before 1997, you don't count as a local. I saw that one. I was like, but why is 1997 like the arbitrary local – What's that, 22 years? Is that what it takes to be a local? What if you're 18? The Aussies have the, Aussies have the gold standard in sort of local graffiti. I think <laughs> it was like early 2000 in tracks, I saw the Stradbrook Island locals had written like a banner or like on a sheet that said, fuck off taxi cunt, you crowd bringing cunt. <laughs> How good is that? It's well, like... <laughs> it's so he called he called someone a cunt twice in the same sentence. It's never been done before. Oh, it has in Australia. When I was a young first growing up in Redhead and indoctrinated into the localism way, we used to call um unlocals trogs, as in troglodytes. I don't know why that was a term, but it was. So fuck off trogs. So if you're from out of town you're a trog. I was like fourteen, fifteen, I've been surfing for like nine months. And I was riding on the Redhead um, Surf Club wall in, remember that yellow zinc, you see, like fluoro zinc that I had? I was riding Trog's Fuck Off on the wall. <laughs> I got a tap on the, I was, I was up to, I, was, I, I, I got to, I got to this, the, the second F and uh, I got a tap on the shoulder and it's my dad, Colin Mundy. Carl. Red. Obviously, president of the Redhead Progress Association, uh, president of the Redhead Cricket Club and Soccer Club, pillar of society. He just looked at me and go, oh. what are you doing? And I had to, first, I had to, he asked, what are trogs? <laughs> I had to explain that troglodytes are um, unlocals. <laughs> anyway, I got marched off, marched back down three hours later with the bleach and the scrubbing mm. brush in front of all the, like, Classic cop <laughs> sat there, and I had to scrub it off in front of everyone, like all of my new heroes. Yeah, cool guy. Anyway, localism. Um, yeah, that was my localism graffiti story. Yeah, interesting juxtaposition of the Latin troglodyte, which means which means cave, cave dweller. Dwells, yeah. Cave dweller. Yeah, that's what Col- That's what Cole said. He said, "Well, for starters, they're cave dwellers. They're not people from not this beach." I was like, "Okay, Cole, good point." <laughs> And I I think it's interesting that we're talking to a surfing community about right to roam because one of the things that I think the argument for right to roam that has been going on for hundreds of years in England uh, since it was effectively taken away from us, um, one of the aspects that we haven't really none of the arguments have touched upon. They've all touched upon the injustice of having uh, common land removed uh, and privatised, the kind of historic injustices of all that. But no one's really hit upon the aspect that I think really resonates with loads of people. And I think the surf community, almost in popular culture, kind of represent this. 
which is kind of the spiritual aspect of it all. And it might be easy for popular culture to, you know, have a go at surfers for tie-dye and pot smoking and being a bit dim and all that. But that really is just the sort of authoritarian response to um, what has historically been called paganism, but just uh, finding a, a sort of wider meaning uh, to your existence by... Because the thing about surfing, it's really embedded within the landscape. You're really doing something in the landscape as well. You, you, you really get a sense of... I mean, I, for one, having my knee smashed, got a sense of just the power of uh, the, uh, you know, the, the waves and the undertow. Um, and certainly, I mean, I'm more of a river man anyway, so I like kayaking. Uh, and, and any kind of activity that really gets you uh, basically to parts of the river that you'd never see or experience, you, you can be really submerged in the riverbank uh, by kayaking in a way that, kind of what we're supposed to do in the English landscape, which is just go for a pleasant stroll on a Sunday afternoon. That really is the sort of brand of the English countryside. That's kind of what you see people doing, like sort of middle-class people smiling as they go for a quaint stroll. There's just so much more uh, that the human body wants to do with the world outside it. Uh, and, and that has something to do with the link between physicality and spirituality and i think and i think surfers are probably you know the wise senseis of uh, of that relationship kicking everything from the pcp to the lattes going straight edge doctor's orders when the nhs was originally formed uh it was formed in uh the mindset was formed in corollary with uh this idea that uh to to celebrate the end of the war to give uh you know the returning soldiers or the population of britain that had you know knuckled down and got the job done some kind of uh reward to give the soldiers a sense of what they'd fought for um there was going to be the welfare state there were going to be pensions there was going to be a health service so that people you know could be free at the point of care but also um there was uh, certainly, uh, you know, in sort of 46 and 47 and 48, uh, this concept that more of the natural uh, health benefits of nature should be opened to the public in order to alleviate the pressure from... It, it's, it's to give the prevention before the need for the cure. Sure. So actually, Right to Rome was kind of presented uh, um, in various bills um, as a... Uh, as a sort of partnership with the NHS. So Isabella Hardman, I haven't read her book yet, but definitely will. Uh, just uh, alongside Lucy Jones, who wrote Losing Eden, which is about the mental health benefits of being around nature and sciences catching up with essentially, you know, thousands of year old paganism uh, by proving uh, bizarre things such as the link of kindness to um, the sublime uh or from you know the benefits of microbes in the soil uh that are released by actually working the soil not just the toil and the exercise and the being out amongst the bees and the sunshine stuff like the phytonicides that uh that trees release in their essential oils that for just a two-hour walk in woodland you can boost your immune system for up to a month afterwards there there has always been this kind of sense that nature is a is is is, is something that resets uh your perspective or your mental health but also benefits you on a physical level 
And certainly in the late 40s, that was something that was seen as part of the package uh, to offer England. Um, but it was uh, resolutely quashed by the landowners. That uh, was a step too far. In America and Australia, uh, their, their common law is based on English common law for obvious reasons. And uh, you have right to access in Australia and America, uh, the rivers, uh, based on the same common law that in England says you have absolutely no right to access rivers unless there's a specific act that says so. So it's interesting because these things were founded, you know, from, I guess, as early as the 1500s on the same rules. But recently, England has become a world leader of exclusion. <laughs> and uh, other countries, yeah, bizarre as it may seem, even America has a more... Uh, liberal or libertarian attitude to uh, people's rights, especially on the waterways. But I guess the point we're saying is that uh, the original privatisation of the NHS came when the Natural Health Service of England was enclosed and privatised and fenced off from all the people that lived around the areas of the land that were enclosed who no longer have the right to the peace of mind uh, and the health-giving properties of nature, basically. Flowers are essentially tarts, prostitutes for the bees. It's not the language. This reminds me of when Derek Hine took all those people down to King Island for the finless, finless thing, and he's the only person ever in the rid of finless board, <laughs> so it could humiliate everybody in the video. <laughs> Africa, Tom Carroll, um, Heath Josky, all those guys never ridden finless before, and you know Derek Hines is the king of the fucking party. And this is like the same thing. Paul's just the king of the party. <laughs> got, we've got Janolf. Okay, so Chaz Charlie Smith. Let's move into some general knowledge. Five of the best. Are you ready? Yeah. Your five Born. questions on general knowledge start now. Question number one, surfing Smiths. What Smith was called the most underrated surfer in the world in 1977 by Rory Russell? So all you got to do is come up with a Christian name. Which Smith? Tom Carroll. Well, no, this guy's called Smith. It's like something. He wasn't called Tom Carroll Smith. Something Smith. <laughs> Which Smith? Uh, Victor. It's Cole Smith, of which there are two, which I'm assuming Derek and Ben both know. And this particular one comes from Monday's hometown of Redhead Beach, Newcastle. Cole oh, Smith. Ben, why didn't you throw me a bone there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I should have. I should have. <laughs> okay, I thought you might get that because there haven't been that many Smiths. Um, yeah, no. The only Smith I know is Tom Carroll, let's... to be honest. <laughs> okay, question number two. Let's talk some bra boys. Why not? Um, in the movie, the documentary about the bra boys, in what way do the Abertons, or particularly Kobe, says he's planning on going legit with his investments? incidentally uses a soft s on the plural which i particularly <laughs> liked but, um how are the abertons going to go legit buying and selling is this for ben no this is this is still you mate this is oh oh uh i'm gonna go real estate I'll give you that. It's actually houses, which he pronounces. <laughs> he pronounces it houses, which I really, really like. That's buying and selling houses like that. I, um, I'm going to give you that. Real estate, good, Chas, good. You're back in the room. 
Nicely done. By selling houses. Okay, question number three, immigration. Which Brazilian was barred entry to the US for quite sort of Trump-esque reasons, um, but also didn't get barreled in the entire South Pacific leg in his rookie CT year 2008? Which Brazilian surfer barred entry? Neko Pararat. Fortunately, no, it's Jihad Koda. Oh, man, Jihad Koda is my favorite Brazilian surfer. Basically, didn't get him in because of his name. They kind of looked at his name and went, Jihad? I don't totally forgot about uh, yeah damn it i should have had that one jihad was really my number one for a long time wow chin up still too he was a muslim too well he is a muslim yeah um it's two still two more great questions to go to keep you keep you in this okay let's talk some linkedin bios i'm gonna read you one and you all you have to do is tell me whose linkedin bio this is ready yep I'm a writer and editor, both capitalized, splitting my time between Los Angeles and San Francisco's beautiful sunset neighborhood. Actually, uh, Goggins. <laughs> let me finish it. <laughs> <laughs> it's correct. It's absolutely nailed it. It's capitalized writer. That's unusual. Um, I've spent the last decade writing and or working for the Sarasota Herald Tribune, in brackets, a Pulitzer-winning newspaper once owned by the New York Times bit weird um as well as for a variety of other publications and this something that shook me to my very core n plus one vice surfer stab munchies surfers village visit St. petersburg beach grit sarasota edible some other stuff wrote ashton sea leg sea legs goggins wrote for beach grit i didn't know that ashton sea legs goggin got his more or less a start at beach grit did he not derek i mean yeah yeah okay well, this and uh... Anyway, yeah, he did a great job. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's a writer and editor, and you're two from four so far and going great, guns, Chad Smith. Okay, this question takes a slightly different format. We're going to talk some Blackout Tuesday, and I'm going to name you some scenarios that appeared on Instagram, and you're going to tell me the influencer that came up with the content. Got okay, it. so yesterday, not everyone went to the black square, matched the content to the influencer. Okay, A, influencers are holding hands with a black girl um, and they've both got their hair braided in what I guess you could describe as an Afro-Caribbean style, but the influencer, of course, in this case is white. Uh, B, we've got Main Street USA, which, which might be Long Beach burning with a Winston Churchill quotes. And C, we've got an all-black shortboard. And your influencers are reigning world champ, Italo Ferreira, the shape at Matt Mayhem Biolas, and Maud Lecar. So I want to know, holding hands with a black girl, Main Street, USA, Winston Churchill, all black shortboard. Italo, Violas, Maud. Violas. Well, no, you, you got to match them. There's three things. Oh, Matt Violas, holding hands with a black girl. <laughs> <laughs> hair, hair braided. Hair braided. Uh, I'm going to go Italo, Long Beach Burning. And I am going to go uh, Jihad Khoder for the third one. Okay, unfortunately, it's not the right answer. So uh, <laughs> Italo Ferreira just posted an all-black shortboard with, like, black lights matter or something. I just thought it was... And absolutely nailed it and probably solved the problem. <laughs> it's fucking comedy genius, just a black board. <laughs> Um, Maud was holding hands with the black girl and obviously 
Matt Mayhem Biolas chose as his beacon of social justice the man who described Indians who killed three million of them with a forced famine, described them as sort of savages and recommended gassing them, Winston Churchill. So well done to everyone involved. When, when the project first came about, like, did you, I guess, probably seen Point Break that had come out a couple of years earlier? That was like, I guess, most people's kind of semi-in on the culture. What were your thoughts about Stefan at the time? Or? I thought it was, a, I thought it was a, um, like a, a, a sort of like a joke, really. The idea of the community in Cornwall, I had no idea. <laughs> no, certainly, like you said, Point Break was a huge, um, uh, the raised more piqued my interest, really. But... The thing was, when I actually started to understand and when I started living, I went down there three months before we started shooting. And Ewan came down for a bit as well. He didn't really need to, though. Do you know what I mean? Because he was supposed to not be able to serve. He just came down for a jolly. Um, but he, like, me and him, we went down. I spent, I spent three months down there with Rob and Steve. And I, I, the more I watched, the more I saw the whole thing about running into the water, about where you, which way you hold the board, everything became so apparent to me. And I thought, I really do not want to, uh, you know, I never considered myself a method actor, but I, when you start to understand, you realize how infuriating things are. Um, so although I, you're absolutely right, there was a great deal about Point Break that I love, but when I, the more I looked at Keanu paddling, more angry I got I thought I'm not gonna <laughs> effing do that and so I was I became obsessed and they thought they and then Rob they they got the, one of the shapers to make me a board that, um it's very clever actually it was it was a thruster but it was wider and it was it was thick it had more sort of flotation they put these stripes down to make it look narrower but the closer we got to shooting the the better I got but just like I sort of said there was there was there was a. uh, uh Points that things I I certainly didn't want to do that were highlighted by Keanu in Point Break, really. <laughs> um, and then you know, and then they I, they threw me the deep end at the sense of sort of I'd like to say. I mean, I've never seen any more terrifying in my life. I don't know why I got in. I went over the foot of the point in the Santa, and I went over the falls one time, and the, and I got you know in the washing machine, spat out on the beach, snapped the end of my board, and everything completely freaked out. And they said, if you don't get back in, you never will. And I got back in and I got one. So, and that's in the film. So possibly the proudest moment I've ever done in my life. You had a surf with a fellow podcaster, Matt Barr. Obviously got the Looking Sideways pod, brilliant pod. Hey up, how's it going? It's Matt, you're listening to Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. Really good one with Matt Warshaw. Did you hear the Matt Warshaw pod recently? Yeah, I touched on it. Yeah, I didn't listen to the whole thing, but he he hit me up to ask about Matt and I gave him a few notes. One of the legends of... And I'm right... I'm right in thinking that you, you and Matt used to have a, did you used to have a lot of a thing, a business, or you were partners in in your in your agency? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and Matt both were business. Uh, he's been a friend of my wife's, and so we went to right. see our twenty. And yeah, we're really close. And yeah, we had six, seven years working together. And there was and when you when you were in the office around the water cooler, did he sometimes use words that you didn't know the meaning of? Was was communication a, a problem, or did you did you manage to understand each other about okay? Uh, no, we're pretty good. He's a very, very intelligent man, but uh, so am I. So we, 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 um, we, we um, I can, you know, big words didn't phase us, Paul. Well, Ben, let's find out. It's a brand new part of the show and it's called Are You Smarter Than a Smooth Talking Matt Barr Steward? The Encyclopedia of Surfing 
is Matt's Sisyphean attempt to document the history of surfing through the site of the same name. What I want to know is, what is Matt's Sisyphean attempt? Question one, what's a Sisyphean attempt? (laughs) I fucking don't know. I assume it's some type of uh, mythological word where someone documented their own life. I'm literally making it up as I go along. So He's referring to Sisyphus, who's the cruel king of Corinth, condemned forever to roll a huge stone up a hill in Hades, oh. only to have it roll down again. Yes. Ben, you're not, you're not from one so far. Let's move on. This one should be a little bit easier. This is a truly quixotic undertaking. Truly quixotic undertaking. What's that mean, Ben? What's quixotic? <laughs> probably, you've probably heard of that one, but what does it actually mean? Is that relating to Don Quixote? Yes, but what does it mean? Um, fuck, I don't know either. I when I'm thinking of Quixote, that's fine. That's fine. I'll take pass. I'll take uh, pass. I'll have a stab. Ah. Oh. I thought it meant a taking on a life that is not in straightforward, so a very sort of a rambling approach to life. I might give you, it's, it's foolishly impractical, especially in the pursuit of ideals or marked by rash, lofty, romantic ideas or extravagantly chivalrous action. I'm going to give you half a point for there because you, you sort of got to work that one out. Question, are you smarter than a smooth-talking rap bastard? Answer, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said I was at the start. Possibly the, the, the trickiest one of all. That bar's going to fucking love this. Something we discussed in this episode. And in its Borhasian infinity. Okay, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> so, what I want to know is, what, what is a Borhasian infinity? Is it? Is it Gigzit? Is it Gigzit passing the schools there? Borhasian infinity. Is it, it Borhaus? The Borhaus movement. The Borhaus movement was an art, <laughs> art movement that originated. That's, in ba- that's, Bau- that's Bauhaus, and oh. yeah, no, you're, you're oh. way. You, you couldn't be any 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 further off from Bauhaus to a Borhasian. I don't. I don't know. A pass on that one. Okay, well, in this particular instance, Matt is obviously referring to Jorge Luis Borges, who was an Argentinian writer, particularly known for short fiction such as Clon, Ukbar, Orbis, Tertius uh, from 1940, and The Lottery in Babylon in 1941, which have a metaphysical, fantastic quality. So what does Borges and Infinity mean? Like, I still don't understand. In reference, what's the Infinity business? I... Still don't really understand it, but I think he's saying it's sort of mystical. I don't really know. Uh, I've got something really good. He's called Jeff Lawton. Um, I listened to a really good interview with Jeff Lawton on Rasta's pod. So Rasta and his, his wife, Lauren Hill, do the Water People podcast. And Jeff Lawton is a bit, bit of a hero of mine, um, was on there like two episodes ago. He's like a permaculture designer who's done like quite a lot of stuff with Rasta actually. But um, I didn't know he was a Brit originally. I just thought he was a pure Aussie. Like obviously the, the founders of permaculture were Australians in the 70s, um, Bill Mollison and Dave Holmgren. But um, he, he studied with those two. But judging by his accent, he's originally from Britain, but had uh, been over there decades. I think he, he gave a description of surfing, which I'm going to play. We're going to listen to it. But it's gone straight into my top three sort of greatest ever 
uh, descriptions of, of the act of, of surfing. Really, really good. Um, it's gone in at number three. Um, obviously, number one, we've got the opening from Free Ride. Sport, art form, lifestyle. Surfing is each of these things. Now, it's best all of them. The surfer blends his desire to live in harmony with the ocean with his instinct to master its waves. Number one, the opening gambit from Free Ride. Uh, number two is is Martin. Is Martin Daly? Is Martin Martin Daly's sort of description in in Sea of Darkness actually. Yeah, I think he gives a really good, really speaks really well in that in that doco and um, gives a really good description of the surfing there. Surfing is an addiction. It's a bit like a sexual addiction almost, you know, where you've got to get it all the time and you can't own it and you get ahead of it and you've got to work really hard to get another one and you can't dictate terms. It's really good surfing. I think it is that, the fact you can't own it. All right, Mundy, and then straight in at number three, listen to this, just a beautiful description of surfing by Jeff Lord. Uh, harmonic patterns are formed by pressure between two media. That's all there is. Uh, as surfers... We, we can't understand that because we see pressure in storms that create spirals that create pressure between air and water of chaos. Oversupply anything with energy that can't be put to harmonic or productive use. It goes into chaos. But then as that energy is absorbed, it becomes swell lines. When that energy travels across an ocean and rubs up against another media, the coastline or a reef, and the wind is now opposing it brings up the spiral shape again it brings up this form well on top of you just pretty much giving the best explanation of surfing that i think i've ever heard so lawton <laughs> i wasn't expecting that you know i thought they were going to talk quite a bit about vegetables and the sort of temperate byron bay sort of climate but uh impressive from lawton mystical man yeah yeah um, wild words and just i'll share this good i'll award the joint good with with David Rastovich, who is a really good host on the pod. I think he's a natural, but I'm going to go as far as to say he might, he might have had the most impressive sort of career of anybody in the whole history of surfing. It's a big call, but if you look at the stuff that he's done, how ahead of his time he was like in the two thousands, everyone was wearing like baggy clown shit and like giant logos. And remember when people were wearing like NBA team board shorts, just looked like, fucking idiots and people were sort of heckling Rasta for being into dolphins and stuff like that now the whole kind of world is sort of come around to his sort of way of thinking and just the shit that he's done like sailing the coast of Australia for cetaceans making that documentary in Japan about you know the, the dolphin massacre I mean he hasn't sort of wavered with his environmental message and it it sort of rings truer today than it ever did but other than that just think as a surfer like it's unbelievable. I'd, I would, you talked about Mick. I would say he's as good as Mick and Joel. Like he's in that sort of category. Like unbelievable. Absolutely agree. So I'm lucky enough to do a few boat trips with Rasta around that time you're talking about, like 2002, 2003. And I saw him like a massive bower and R suit. And he was on those fishes then. He was, no one was on those boards. And not only was he on those boards, he was obviously just the best cheer riding I've ever seen in my life. And we've both been lucky enough to see all those best guys. And he was the best surfer. I, yeah, he was easy at Parco's level. He was that good. He was that talented. He was riding boards that no one 
was on and he was getting so much stick for it, so much grief. And he always handled that grief, I thought, really well. He was always calm. He was always totally committed. He knew what he was on. He knew himself and he dealt with the environmental issues. There was always a bit of a hypocrisy being a, a professional surfer, but he always managed to, to – to get that argument across, you know, you don't have to be one or the other. And yeah, I agree. And it's, I think it's getting the respect he deserves, but yeah. And he's just, he's actually one of those rare things. He's quite an intelligent professional surfer. So um, yeah, yeah, big ups to Rasta or no, to Dave, as he likes to be called. Sorry. Kind of, it's, it's on a similar kind of level. I recently watched, so it popped up and it was like Joel Tudor and it was like at Malibu and it was like Joel oh. Tudor rides two minutes of magic at Malibu and he just gets a wave basically and it's a good wave and he rides for two minutes. And I just watched and I went, what? I mean, if this is the best fucking guy in the world that's ever ridden a longboard in the history of fucking longboarding and this is the most stylish, best example and it's a perfect longboarding wave. And I just watched it two minutes and I could see that. It was just, it left me so nonplussed. Initially I was nonplussed and then I got angry. I was like, if that, if that, if that's it, if this is the pinnacle of what these, this is, I mean, I don't, yeah, go for it, do it, enjoy it, love it. Why film it and why caption it as this piece of genius or artistry? It was shit ass ball. It really um, got my fucking go. And I know this is your bag. I know you're one of the world's longboarding commentators of all time. But yeah, seriously, yeah. is that it? Um, he yeah, there. He might be one of the You're on top turns. It might be one of the most overrated surfers of all time. I would say on that. I, I'm not saying what he's doing isn't as great as everyone is, but I just can't see it. Like I'm just. It's a bit like when you watch like a catwalk fashion show and you see something and it leaves you cold. I can't say that that isn't like really good garment where there's some wire and it, you look like Mozart, but whatever. And the trousers finished sort of on the knees, but I just like, I, I doesn't, it doesn't touch me. I can't kind it doesn't register. So sort of I'll probably say the same thing about Tudors. I do wonder what exactly is the particular sort of good part about it because the whole sort of style thing is a very subjective argument anyway. And does that just mean like not, not doing anything standing there? Don't know. Um, you would think style has probably got to be a combination of slightly more dynamic stuff in the, you know, maybe in the sort of Tom Curran mold, you can kind of, it's obvious to see what the sort of stylish aspect is that you're doing something quite dynamic, but making it look easy. But if you literally just stand there, it's <laughs> sort of slightly bow legged. Just did a few I, little, just a few cutbacks and some like t- top turns. Throw in the neck beard, throw in the atrocious spelling, uh, the caps lock on Insty. I mean, you throw all these things in, throw in the jujitsu, throw all that in. And I'm not, Paul, I'm not throwing any of that in. I'm okay. deliberately not including any of that. I'm just watching this wise, <laughs> okay. watching the response and thinking these two are nowhere near where they should be. Definitely wasn't the biggest day ever. Yeah. But was the cleanest day that we've had the whole day. It was basically good from sun up to sundown. And it was uh, beautiful and super uh, interesting and 
challenging and there's some big chops on most of the waves. There's a couple of clean faces, but I'd say 99% were just big mogul rides. And uh, everybody's just got such good equipment now and so much timing over here that they're surfing the waves really well and making them look easy. The, it was the best day I've seen for good waves all day long. I've yeah. never seen it that big and clean all day. And without, there was a little bit of fog, but it never really stopped us. There was about a couple minutes when we were about to stop and we kind of held back for a minute, but the wave stopped during that moment as well. It was really weird. And then it cleared up real quick. So I'd say like 10 to 20 minutes of fog that was almost too thick, but it wasn't. You could still surf. But during that 10 to 20 minutes, the wave stopped. Uh, you know what? It wasn't as big as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And the wave that I'm looking for did not even show up. It yeah. wasn't that big. Yeah. So there was definitely bigger days, and but there was, you know, an hour or two instead of all day. Yeah. Yeah. And there was um, amazing moments all day long. Usually we have amazing moments for an hour or two. This time we had the whole day. And it was no winds, which made it really inviting and a lot easier to ride. Takati's, we were waiting forever for the right way. Because all the water's coming out of the canyon and sucking up the face. And then it was uh, just really... I, stoked I put him right in the perfect spot and then he was able to do what he wanted to do on it and make it and so it was definitely a huge one and it just it's really you know interesting the whole measuring and my wave is bigger than yours I don't know my wave brings all the boys to the yard call <laughs> it but um, if you did take the scientific measuring approach it's from crest to trough, so I would say probably 120 feet if you took the scientific approach. Us surfers, we are, you know, very influenced by our how we were brought up and how we feel about waves. And so it's, you know, the thing was intense, the thing was big, it's huge. Um, it's, you know, it's, somebody else might measure it 50 feet, but um, I have no idea what size it actually is. I didn't try and measure it personally. Um, the, the face value is out of this world. Um, well, the bottom is at least 20 to 40 feet further down from where they're measuring. Because if you look at the contour of the wave, yeah. the bottom is at sea level. We were just having a really good time. And then at one moment, we saw a bunch of guys yelling way inside. And I don't really know exactly what happened. But um, it, it was very interesting to see everybody's uh, energy. Actually yelling at each other and saying, let's go to the beach. I don't know if that's happened. I'm sure it has. But it's the first time that I've seen it. It was so funny to see everybody so angry when the waves are so good yeah it's like let's e have some fun here ego huh 